Hey, this is Scott Jackson, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Nathan Dominus to the show. Nathan has worked for the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com since September 2007 as a reporter and since November 2015 as a sports content editor. He covers Georgia Southern Athletics and hosts the Georgia Southern Extra podcast. Welcome to the world's best and only ODU podcast. Well, hey, thanks guys for having me. I'm a pleasure and I, I look forward to having you as guests on my show. Nathan, thanks again for joining us. So you've been working in Savannah covering sports for the Savannah Morning News for about 15 years. Correct. What has it been like to watch Georgia Southern's uh, evolution to FBS football from triple option to now throwing 600 yards or almost 600 yards against JMU? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little late to the party in that I've been here during uh, various coach head coaching eras at Georgia Southern, but I was not the beat writer. Uh, per se, until just really in full last year, which was Chad uh, Lunsford's last season. And then, uh, of course, for this season for Clay Hunt, Clay Helton. But I, I have been editing stories about Georgia Southern for 15 years. So I've kind of been there from a distance. And uh, you're, you, you guys are right. They, uh, they've been a running team. That hadn't changed since they were in the FCS. Uh, they still went to the season pledging to, to have a balance of the run in the past. And that's where the uh, maybe the irony of the inverted statistics of last Saturday night caught everybody's attention. In the olden days of just a couple of years ago, or going back to the the, the mid eighties when they were powerhouse under Irk Russell, for them to, to run up 400 or 500 yards was kind of par for, not par for the course, but that was kind of what they did. They would throw the ball maybe a handful of times, maybe 10 times to have 12 yards passing and 578 yards rushing would, is probably somewhere on the books, but that it was the reverse on our inverse on Saturday night when Georgia Southern upset number 25, James Madison. They had 578 yards passing, a net of 12 yards rushing, you know, because they include sacks. And well, there weren't any sacks, actually. Well, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Kyle Vintrees was not sacked at all. But uh, so they had, uh, they had a uh, tough time running the ball, but they changed their, they adjusted their play calling and their, their schemes, and they they pass the ball like they're running it down the field, matriculating down the field, I guess Hank Stram would have said, for, for those of us who remember the Kansas City Chiefs of that, that era. But basically, I'm showing my age all over the place. Basically, they are still trying to do a balance of run and pass, but when the defense, uh, and James Madison had the number one rush defense in the country, probably still does, they had the number two overall defense in the country. When the defense shuts down the running lanes, they're going to pass the ball and see what happens. And they threw it 64 times, which was a school record. And like I said, they beat Florida a few years ago. That was one of their, their marquee victories of all time. And they didn't complete one pass against the Gators in the swamp. So just to give people an idea of how little the pass was thought of. Nathan, you don't have to remind ODU fans of that. <laughs> we had two amazing playoff games with right, Georgia Southern. Right that Old Dominion ended up on the wrong side of. That was during the Jeff Monken era, right before Willie Fritz was hired. Right. You're right. I, so. We all have nightmares about the option, and we're very excited <laughs> that you guys are not running it anymore. No, no. Uh, well, you know, you say that, and they'll, they'll bring it out of nowhere. 
if the defense gives it. But yeah, what was it? A twenty-eight point fourth quarter for Georgia Southern to storm back. Uh, Oh, don't bring oh, come on. Now, now you're not being fair. You're bringing up, you know, old memories <laughs> here. I was not there. <laughs> but that, no, that ODU obviously had a great offense and, and they still, you, well, you guys can talk about the Monarchs now. I, um, but I, I, go ahead, ask me the next question, see what I can do with it. We sure will. And I know we're going to talk more about that stuff in a little bit, but I wanted to ask Southern moved up to FBS in 2014 hit the ground running, had two nine-win seasons right off the bat. Could you talk to us a little bit about Georgia Southern's FBS transition and how things have gone over the past nine years? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm going to put put a premise to that is that they expect excellence over here. They, were, they had six national championships at the FCS level, then called 1AA, and they were hoping that the to get the respect of the big boys, you move up to FBS, you go from the Southern Conference to the Sun Belt. And I believe, if I recall correctly, Willie Fritz, now at Tulane, now nationally ranked Tulane, was the head coach. And I think they won the, uh, the, the, the division or the conference, but were ineligible for any kind of postseason bowls because they were in that transition, kind of like what James, James Madison has been talking yeah, about. So, that's correct. Yeah, so I think they got a little mi- a misdirection of like, yeah, we, we were one of the best in the Southern Conference. We were in semifinals and thinking about contending for national championships at FCS level. We're going to try to do the same at the, the FBS level, but they have not contended since that season. They've played in bowl games. They Chad Lunsford went, went eight and four and won the New Orleans Bowl. And four games later in the following season, he was fired. So the direction of the program, if that can't be spelled out any clearer, was not the right direction. It was going, the trajectory was the wrong direction and not nothing against Chad Lunsford because he was the right man for the right job when he replaced the previous coach who was fired after, I believe, an 0-6 start. Like one of the coaches that they don't like to name, you're talking about stuff that they don't like to bring up. Tyson Summers' is named, oh, I just said it. They don't bring his name up. There's another coach that I'm not supposed to bring up in, in mixed company from a ways back, but uh, they they have high standards here. I don't know how realistic those standards are, but they thought we're going to compete. And not only have they not challenged App State, but they've kind of gotten leaped by, not kind of, they've gotten leaped by Coastal Carolina, like everybody did for the last couple of years. Coastal Carolina has been a tough out for everybody, except for one ODU program that I can think of. So, uh, and Coastal Carolina beat Georgia Southern with two backup quarterbacks. And they finally faced Grayson McCall, the two-time league the reigning league player offensive player of the year the player of the year he finally played george southern this season and if it wasn't for grayson mccall george southern wins that game they're up by 10 with 12 minutes to play and grayson mccall threw or led three touchdown drives in the fourth quarter for them to win 34 30 i believe so you guys saw grayson mccall come up big last saturday just imagine if he had pulled off the win you guys were way too in front but as it turned out but george southern um, is now an afterthought or not an afterthought, but they're not until Clay Helton has gotten here. They haven't been able to contend for league titles. They've gotten to bowl games. They won two out of three bowl games under Chad Lunsford. That's great, but they weren't contending for the East division title and they weren't contending for the league championship with that division berth. So you mentioned why Chad Lunsford was replaced. Could you talk to us a little bit about the changes Clay Helton has implemented since he got there? 
Yeah, yeah. I, it's probably a longer list than I know of. He does a lot of things that uh, that bring up. They, they, he's basically raised the program to be in position to be what they call like a platinum, like a national story, like Cincinnati was last year, or a couple years back, like Memphis may be, what well, UCF was a few years ago. A, a group of five conference team that's nationally ranked and that does some does some damage that is considered, you know, one of the, the up and comers. That's where he wants to be. You would say App State and Coastal Carolina were, were there, not the, at this moment, but were there going into the season. But so he's I think he's lent a, a big time college feel. Uh, he was at Southern Cal, which is one of the blue blood programs everyone knows for, I guess, parts of 10 years. He won two out of every three games, won a Pac-12 title, won a Rose Bowl was nominated for National Coach of the Year twice, I think he was a finalist, not good enough for Southern Cal. He was fired after a one-on-one start last year. And I think he said he examined everything he did and went about, his, and he he came to Georgia Southern last November, almost a year ago, and kind of it started installing like big power five mentality things, investing in facilities and the way they go about their business. And the athletic director, Jared Benko, has only worked at Power Five conferences. He's a Georgia guy, went to UGA, worked at UGA, worked at Auburn, Mississippi State, and I'm leaving somebody out. But he he's only known how Power Five conferences, SEC conference, does things. And I think that's where, if you know how other people do it, that helps know, know where to direct. So I think he's, he's lent a big-time mentality. They don't have a big-time budget, but he's lent a big-time mentality, and they're building – an indoor, they call an indoor practice facility. It's kind of an indoor outdoor, but an indoor practice facility. Cause you guys know Georgia, Southeast Georgia, we get a lot, a lot of lightning here, a lot of afternoon rainstorms. So doing that, they're building a convocation center. They've really upped the, the recruiting this to get Mike, to get back to your question that it, they've upped the recruiting department. I think it went from two to four. They have a full-time nutritionist just for football. We know everybody has a a strength and conditioning coach just for football nowadays, but they added one for, for, for football. So they're really focusing on football in a bigger way and football is king around here. So, all right. So on September 10th, you guys went into Lincoln against mm-hmm. Nebraska and pulled off a huge win, a 45 to 42 victory against the Huskers. Talk to us a little bit about that game and, uh, you know, what the team and what the fans felt like in that moment. I, I think they felt like, to quote the, one of the players after the other day, I felt, they probably felt it was New Year's Eve celebration, but better. Um, they were 23-point underdogs at one point going into that game. Nebraska is Nebraska, but they're not the Nebraska that we all grew up on. They're, they were struggling. They've lost way too many close games, but... And they're about to fire. The next day, they fired their head coach, Scott Frost, because he was not getting the job done. And you lose to a, a 23 or 21-point underdog in Georgia Southern. That kind of seals the deal, or did. That was considered right up there with maybe their national championship win, certainly up there with beating Florida at Florida. That was kind of a down year for the Florida Gators that season. They were kind of okay. And Georgia Southern was one of the best, had one of the best teams they'd had in a while with the, some future NFL players on that team. So Georgia Southern beating Nebraska was not expected probably outside of Georgia Southern homes and the players' homes. But I think the fans would admit, you know, if we just have a good showing, there's probably some anxiety about going to Lincoln, very intimidating Memorial Stadium. Just I was not there physically. I watched it on TV like like others did. But 
I think that was a, a showcase for that offense that you're going to ask me about in a minute. That, And also it showed the flaws in the defense, which have been consistent. That's why they're one of the worst rushing defenses in the country because from the Morgan State game, which Morgan State didn't really – couldn't really afford to run they were they lost like 59 to 7 but they they showed that they they found some holes in that defense and nebraska ran pretty well uab won just basically on rushing georgia state was the same thing their rushing game basically and turnovers beat georgia southern in a conference game but that nebraska game was kind of the indicator the foreshadowing of what was to come and ventrice ran a, a quarterback draw which was a total surprise i'm sure to them or almost total a quarterback draw with 36 seconds to go to win that game. So it was a back and forth game. George Southern scored first, I believe. And I think that really showed them, hey, you know, we're, 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 we can play with these guys. So obviously this team goes as the offense goes. Looking Just looking at the numbers, that's how it comes across to me. And Kyle Vantrese is a very important part of that. Can you tell us about the type of passing offense this team runs and what has made him so hard to sack? I think there's only been two sacks on him this year. That's correct. And as he said just yesterday, too, we're taping this on Tuesday night, and Monday they have their press conference, and he said that uh, for him to throw 64 times and not get sacked is unbelievable. And for the, for him to to be uh, to throw almost 400 passes and be sacked only twice is un- probably unheard of. He should have said ridiculous. But, but uh, that is amazing. I think what it is, is he he's a six-year player. He started for three seasons at Buffalo, and he has a very good sense of when to get rid of the ball. He's also a, 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 a leaning towards gunslinger. I, I, people there may know, well, um, Brett Favre, you know, in his playing days. But Kyle's very aggressive and confident in, in his throws, and he will give his players a chance to be playmakers almost to the point of at fault like he will see a tight window and he will throw to it thinking that he can get the ball where only his his receiver can get to it maybe on the boundary passes i guess the 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 sideline passes he does that a lot they also use quick screens to the left and right with some blockers out front it's almost like a running play i would say like a running play they can get like three or four yards and maybe the the uh, run yards after catch will turn into something bigger, but they're like perfectly satisfied to throw that. And that's kind of a long pass to the sideline for just three or four yards. But Calvin Trees is very good at it. I've seen them practicing that since the spring when they installed this offense. And that's another point is they have a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new special teams. There's only one position coach who is on this staff that who was here last year. And that's, Interim coach Kevin Whitley, who was the interim head coach, he's the cornerbacks coach, and he's a Georgia Southern man. He played here, was an All-American here. So these are a real good continuity factor. And then everybody else is new. They're young. The coach is on the young side. I guess you guys know about that. And they uh, they do that. Now, the, the new wrinkle was they were throwing more over the middle, which has kind of been a danger zone, but more of those slants over the middle, which is a lot of timing and takes some courage, too, because there's a lot of hands in the way. But that's kind of where they've opened it up. And then, like I said, they throw it 64 times. They basically threw it all over the field. But they, they're not shy about the, the deep pass, and they're not shy about quick outs, for sure. So there's been two games where he struggled with protecting the ball. Georgia State is one of them. UAB is another. What were they doing? What what happened differently in those games, the, the forces? Was, there, was that like tipped passes? Yeah, or- that's – that's a great question, and you phrased it just right because we we were kind of we're not like breaking down game films, but just watching it, you know, in regular speed. The UAB game, 
after coming off of the Nebraska win and then going on the road again, you know, that was a short week in a sense because they got back from Nebraska at like 2.30 in the morning and, and maybe they got back to campus later than that. But they, the UAB defense had the players, the defensive backs, the skilled players to go into coverage. They were dropping eight men into pass coverage and that's pretty good ratio. They only had three rushing. So he was able to get the passes off but there was a, usually a guy right there, and and that that undermined UAB. Ran the ball great. I think their rusher might be leading the country now. He he ran for over 200 yards. Just brutal guy. He broke tackles. So the defense was was getting run over literally sometimes, and the offense was getting no windows. He had like nobody open on several plays, and he threw it anyway. So that's the aggressiveness. You would think that maybe they would have put more into the pad, the run, but they got behind by two or three scores. Got back. Got back within one score, if I remember correctly. But that was the story of that game. UAB just had the great scheme and the players to pull it off. And not everybody can do that. Georgia State ran the ball great, which is going to be a problem for any Georgia Southern defense. But they also had one turnover, one interception. Kyle Trees hit the receiver in the hands, which you think would be the right place to put it. But it went, you can't see me, maybe you guys see. It was above his head and it hit off both hands, went in the air, was picked off. I think that was the first interception. And another interception, I have to go back and look, but I Clay Helm was talking about it yesterday and the other night. Kyle Vey, there was a breakdown in pass protection. You talk about those sacks. So he got a quarterback hurry and he, he got rid of the ball, but it went sideways. It, it didn't, it kind of maybe fluttered or did not go where he was originally intending. And that got picked off. So he said out of the four interceptions, two of them were not Kyle Ventries' fault. One hit the receiver in the hands. The other one, he was basically about to be sacked. And he went. And he was in the process of throwing it. Instead of just falling incomplete, it fell into the hands of a, of a opportunistic defender. So, four interceptions. It's hard to get over. They had another fumble. They only lost one fumble all season, kind of to counterbalance the interceptions, of which there have been plenty. They only had one fumble all season, and that was against Georgia State when the receiver was trying to get extra yards on that final drive to try to tie up the game, and he fumbled, and that that was the end of that. So let's stick with the receiver theme here. Mm -hmm. So Caleb Hood leads the way for Southern's receiving core with 46 receptions, about 560 yards. That's right. Additionally, Derwin Burns Jr., Jeremy Singleton, and Amari Jones are all heavily involved. They've caught, I think, 44, 40, and 30 balls, respectively. Talk to us a little bit about the receiving core and what makes them go. Yeah. So this is this is kind of a – if you're going to make a movie – and if you also know about the transfer portal, which you guys do, you take a program that you wonder why any capable wide receiver would want to come here for, I'm not talking about this year, but for decades, because they may get targeted once or twice a game at best. You have people leading the team and the tight end led the team in touchdown receptions last year with three, and there's nobody close. So they, they rarely threw the ball, but there were people here. So this is where Clay Helton, the head coach now, said he was surprised. The offensive coaches were surprised at the talent level of the wide receivers that were here. So you're talking Caleb Hood, who's going to be – he's closing in on being the all-time career uh, rece receptions leader, and it helps to have an offense that throws the ball 50 times. But you have – he's a slot back, very quick, always been dangerous. He's been like a third-team all-conference a couple of years ago. Amari Jones is a transfer from Tulane, a high school quarterback in Frisco, Texas, who came in last season under Chad Lunsford. He was going to be kind of a, they call it the, the Swiss Amari knife. 
Uh, get it? You guys get it? Yeah, I, that's, I that's pretty that. awesome. That's where, I like that's that. Where that's where your best friend, Danny Reed, I think came up with that. But uh, the voice of the Eagles, the Amari Jones came here to return punts and kickoffs and play some wide receiver, maybe some slot back. Guess where he started the first game last season of what became a lost season? Quarterback. He was the only guy on the team who had any college experience, uh, really, but not at quarterback. He played at Tulane in big games. But he, nobody on the team played quarterback for that, who was ready on the first team. The quarterback who was the, the incumbent, he was suspended for the first two games for academic reasons, which he had straightened out in summer school, but it was he already he had to get punished by missing two games. So anyway, Amari Jones, who you asked about, kind of had to do everything. He's got great hands, got some, some good moves in the open field. So you've got him, you got Caleb Hood. They they through the transfer portal, they got Jeremy Singleton, who was at the University of Houston, kind of a wide open offense. And he was looking for more opportunity in his last season of eligibility. And he saw the offense that Brian Ellis ran at Western Kentucky and then Clay Helton recruited him. So he was really happy to be here. And they've had some other players that one of their wide receivers was got knocked out for the season. I don't know if it's the UA, I'm trying to remember the game, but they have a bunch of wide receivers that have basically been ignored for their careers. And they were the happiest guys on the team to see this offense come in. So the ball is spread around for him, for Kyle Ventries to connect with six receivers a game. You know, you mix in a running back, you mix in a tight end. Uh, they they can get up to six. They target seven, eight guys a game, and they'll, they can get seven or eight different receivers in a game. So earlier you were talking about how Clay Hilton wants to have a balanced offense, passing right. and running the ball. We've, we spent a lot of time talking about passing the ball, but – Let's go to the running backs. So Jalen White is having a, a pretty good year running back. He's averaging over five yards per carry, has eight touchdowns. Could you take a moment to talk about Jalen and the rest of the running back room for Monarch fans? Yeah, I think I think the fans at Georgia Southern and the coaches have been maybe as excited about anything was about letting Jalen White loose in this offense. And you could say, well, there's only one ball and they're going to throw the ball when the defense is on their heels in pass coverage, that opens up things for the running back. And, you know, I think you guys have talked about the run setting up the pass and the pass setting up the run. So Jalen White was a big time high school star in Alabama, which produces a lot of running backs. He might've been one of their all-time leading rushers, which says saying something. And he came here as a pretty prized recruit, but he had to kind of wait his turn, not because he was a true freshman, but because there's all conference running backs you know, in their junior and senior years ahead of him. So now he's a true junior. And this is the first time where he's been the starting running back. And they were, and he looks like a starting running back. He's big and strong and he runs hard. And he looks like he could run 25 times a game and be happy with that. But, but he also catches the ball out of the backfield as he proved with a touchdown. So he's kind of the thunder. And then they got a guy, Gerald Green, who's been kind of the lightning. He's, he's the guy that can be a, you know, the home run ball. And when, when the running backs got hurt in the past couple of seasons, he's one of the guys that stepped up and had a breakout game. I think Jalen White had one last season and Gerald Green had one two years ago where people, they were probably saying, who is this guy? He's got like 18 yards on the season. How did he just run for 70 yards for a touchdown? How did he just run for 167 yards against me? Well, it's because they're good running backs. And, and there's a, there's a, um, I guess, a legacy of good running backs. You look at, Jarek McKinnon, who was a quarterback and running back with the, now with the Kansas City Chiefs. Matt Breida now with the Giants, I believe, but he was with the 49ers. The all-time, this may confuse people, but the, one of the all-time greats at the FCS level 
and you guys might know is Adrian Peterson, not the one that played in the NFL for a long time was, you know, from Oklahoma, but the same name, same position, not that much difference in age, but there was an Adrian Peterson that was a bruising fullback built like a tailback, but bruising fullback in that offense back in the Eric Russell days or, or just after that. So anyway, running back is a, a prime position here, but they don't get the, the number of carries. But if, if there's a defense that's given up a gashing running plays, they're going to hand off to Jalen White and Gerald Green. And there's a true freshman, O.J. Arnold. He wasn't named Amari Arnold, but there's Amare Jones. And it's too confusing to have two Amaris on the offense. So, so he picked O.J. of all things. I wouldn't have picked O.J. You don't have to go anywhere with that comment. But <laughs> that's that's who. It is. So he's a true freshman. So he's getting like a little sampling of work. But that's who that's who their big three. Well, their big two plus one are right now. I appreciate you sharing that. So I, I've got to go back to something that Mike mentioned earlier. You guys were talking about the offensive line only giving up two sacks. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous two sacks. Amazing two sacks. Absolutely, whatever the superlative is there. Now, Old Dominion leads the country in averaging almost 4.2 sacks per game with a total of 25 on their first six games. (laughs) Yeah. So, one, what do you attribute Southern's ability to keep Vantrese clean? And then, two, what do you predict for this week's battle? Because something's got to give. Right. I've been wondering the same thing. And not saying I've been right about things. But, you know, it doesn't take an Einstein to say they're really bad at rush defense and the other team's going to try to rush and it's up to them to stop it. So I think old, old Dominion's going to try to sack him a lot and see how good that offensive line is. And they, they were pretty keen on the James Madison front four being one of the best they'd seen. And obviously with the rush defense that proved to be right. They only had 12 net yards, but like you said, no, no sacks. So I, I attributed to Calvin trees having a very quick release going through progressions very quickly and may it may be too aggressive at times, as as UAB and, and Georgia State proved. You can't force it. You can't also, if you're on your back foot with a guy in your face with an old Dominion helmet on, you know, you can't just throw it there and hope that one of your guys will make a play. So it'll be interesting for them to find some sort of middle ground between having all the time they need in a clean pocket to get rid of the ball and just having a super rush. I think. It's probably going to land somewhere in the middle. They're not going to get maybe seven sides. Did they sack Grayson McCall seven times? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Six different, six different guys combined for seven. I mean, you could you could envision that as long as it still allows them to run plays that win the game. It's almost like they're willing to, and I'm quoting Kyle, but paraphrasing, he doesn't care if it's running or passing or what have you, just as long as they have one more point. And that, of course, worked out last year when Buffalo beat the old dominion as long as you have one more point you, nathan you keep bringing up painful memories for us here uh, hey, i wasn't there but <laughs> <laughs> they are we still friends but the he's he's a veteran quarterback and he he took a lot of heat i'm not i'm not exaggerating he he took all, as much as they loved him for beating nebraska and he was one of the national players of the week and this week he he beat number 25, James Madison. He, again, one of the national players of the week, the, the conference player of the week, and then up for the Manning Awards and other things like that. Frisco Bowl just named him the offense player of the week. When you throw for 578 yards and you beat a ranked team, that's what happens, I think. But people were down on him just a week ago, not even like a month ago, a week ago for throwing four interceptions. And like we said, they, they should have been in context. 
and throwing the ball so much. People are like, why do you throw the ball so much? Why don't you hand off? We got good running backs. Hand off the ball because the more you throw the ball, inevitably, the more you're going to throw the ball into danger. And so I think Old Dominion might be prepared to just rush them and see what that line can do. They've been, they have a new offensive line coach, Richard Owens. He played tight end in the NFL. He's regarded, I guess, as a, a great teacher of blocking. And they've been working on blocking schemes since the spring. And they've had a couple injuries, but they have a very veteran. They lost a, some, a couple very veteran guys from last year's team, but they have, they had four or five veteran guys They've gone with one freshman and they had another guy line up. Their biggest lineman, Rashid Miller, he's like 6'6", 300-something, their biggest offensive lineman. He injured his finger like four weeks ago and we haven't seen him since. So they've had, I'd say four out of five of their linemen are like fifth, six-year players and that's got to help. And then maybe the youngin can, can the, the one freshman they have, he can kind of fit in. So they, they've got a good mix on the offensive line. The, uh, the running backs have been like Jalen White are sizable and they're good at chipping guys when they leave them into pass blocks. So I, I don't break down the game film with the players and the coaches, but I'm going to say that if they don't have time to throw it because of a great pass rush, they've got a plan B because they did, they tried to run it. They They said, hey, against James Madison, we heard they had a great rush defense. We're going to feel it out in the first quarter. And it was uh, they didn't get knocked out, but they didn't get anything. They, I mean, they averaged 0.8 yards a carry in that game. That's that's crazy. Talk about ridiculous. All right, so moving on to the defensive side of the ball, could you give us a couple players that OD fans need to be aware of Yeah, and should yeah. keep their eye out for? Yeah, if you had asked me this at the beginning of the season, I would have told you a great long story. I know we're almost out of time. A great long story about Todd Bradley Glenn, who's a seventh-year player who's had every kind of thing happen to him football injury-wise. And he overcame a rare form of skin cancer in high school to play. He was a three-star linebacker in high school in Valdosta, Georgia. Came to Georgia Southern, only, I think only two years out of the seven has he been healthy for a whole season. He's gotten hurt every season. He just got hurt a couple of games ago. He injured a knee. He had already injured. He was just coming back from a dislocated elbow. So he actually had two injuries in five game, in four games or five games this season. He was the guy to lead the defense. He was the Mike linebacker, the middle linebacker to kind of lead things. He's not there anymore. So the guy that there is now, it's Marquez Watson Trent. Uh, and he's a Pennsylvania kid who came to Georgia Southern kind of like because nobody, because Pitt didn't recruit him. And that's where he wanted to go. Anyway, he's kind of one of their guys now. They have a transfer, Kadri Jackson, well, two, second, third year now out of North Carolina. But the one player on the defense that doesn't get a lot of respect that is the All-American type, the, the shutdown corners, Derek Canteen. He was a freshman All-American three seasons ago, had six interceptions, was a real breakout star on a good bowl-winning team. Then last season, when everything went wrong, I mean, everything went wrong, he he injured a pectoral muscle the second game of the season early in the, the, the game and, and was out for the year. He's back healthy for the first time. And I asked him at the fall camp, when was the last time you were 100% healthy? And he said, he thought for a minute and he said, this time last year, basically like September last year. So he has not played healthy. And then this year, he's already had a concussion, but he, he had a huge game against James Madison, 12 tackles, of four pass breakups, a sack. They used him as a blitzer, as a pressure. That's new. So anyway, that's the guy to watch. 
if he can do kind of a shutdown corner on, I don't know if he'd be on Ali Jen Jennings totally. Depends, I guess, how ODU uses him. But he was kind of shadowing um, Chris Thornton last week for James Madison, who's just crazy good, especially in open field. That's like Mr. Yards after catch. So anyway, I'd say Derek Canteen. And then their two defensive ends are, are six-year players real quick, Justin Ellis and Dylan Springer. So those are, are those are their co-captains. So Justin Ellis, Dylan Springer, Derek Canteen, who might be a future NFL guy. And then they're going to need Marcus Watson-Trent to have a big game against Blake, your running back, Blake Watson. Two Watsons in there. There's a, right. there's a Sherlock Holmes joke in there somewhere. Nice. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the third phase of the game. Old Dominion, it's made quite the name for itself last year on special teams. Two block kicks, a huge play in the Virginia Tech game on special teams to help us win that game. If both teams score as much as might happen this week, special teams could play a huge role in the outcome of this game. That's what can you tell us about Southern special teams, core and how they plan to stifle ODU? Well, this actually came up not about ODU, but about Georgia Southern special teams. And Clay Helton said himself, I, I, I have it here in my computer somewhere, the special teams last year was lagging. It was it was a growth area, huge growth area, as they say. That basically means a weakness. So they were getting kickoff or punts returned for touchdowns on them. They were getting. I think they had three punts blocked last year. Two of them on like the last play of the second of the first half, which means don't let anything bad happen and you go in unscathed, right? And they at Coastal Carolina, I think, and another team blocked a punt, and it's just like do anything, tackle them do anything, even run around and anything's better than getting your punt blocked and return for a touchdown going into the half. And I think it happened twice last year. Talk about bringing up bad memories. So they have a, a dedicated special teams coordinator for the first time, maybe in recent memory in Turner West, who's the son of Tommy West, who people may know, coach Clemson in Memphis. Turner West also interesting, went to the same Michael high, same Memphis high school when his dad was coaching at Memphis and he was a high school kid. He went to that private school in Memphis where Michael Orr, the blindside Michael Orr, was the offensive lineman. Now, Turner West is not technically in the movie, but he's on the offensive line, near, or he's playing next to Michael Orr, and he said like, he was invisible, that that kid was so huge that that he just felt tiny. And Turner's not tiny, but he's not huge either. So anyway, it was an interesting little link to, to Hollywood and, and real life. But special teams this year has been their most dependable Week in, week out unit. I think everybody would agree with that. Alex Rayner has been kind of a, had a breakthrough. Alex Rayner last year. I don't know if they knew what his range was. They didn't know if he could make a 40 yarder when they needed it. So they might've gone for it this year. He's trying 40, 41 yarders. He's made, he missed, he missed one last week in the first half at the end of the first half, which they said was a problem with the hold. They later explained yesterday that it wasn't really, I guess it wasn't really his fault, but he made three second half field goals, all very makeable, 23, 22, and then a uh, I think it was a 37, but he, uh, or 40, they brought in a transfer from Minnesota with the transfer portal named Michael Lance. He's got a big leg. He, I showed it at Minnesota, but he, uh, they had a comp open competition for kicker and Michael Lance ended up as the kickoff guy, which he's done very well with kick with touchbacks. They actually have a third kicker that we should note if it ever comes to it, a name, Britton Williams, who was one of those He's a local kid. He's from Richmond Hill, Georgia, right where near I am. He uh, he was one of those kids that starred on viral videos on Twitter and at kicking camps where he just knocked the he can you know just he can he can do great. But 
he's only played a little bit. And actually it was last season when the kicker, Alex Rayner was hurt and he had to go in for him in the, one of the early games. And he ended up being Sunbelt off, uh, special teams player of the week. And we haven't seen him since. So, I mean, we've seen him. He's got great long hair. And we see him. He's easy to spot with the hair flowing from the helmet. And he's a super nice kid. And his parents went to Georgia Southern, so he loves it. But he hasn't seen the field because Alex Rayner has been so consistent. And as far as the punter, they have a guy that also, if you talk about Darren Gantine having NFL aspirations, Anthony Beck II has been, he was third team all-conference two years ago, second team all-conference this year. He's a Ray guy nominee last year. He's a Ray guy nominee this year. I guess it just depends on statistics, but he, he's been, he's, I can't, I can think of maybe one bad punt that I've seen him have in the whole time. He's, he's money. And I just jinxed him, but he's money other than those block punts. And they shortened his step, his stride this year. They, that was one of their main things. So he does a two-step instead of a three-step and that's to get away from the blocks. So that was all stuff that was done in the spring to kind of make sure nothing bad happens in the fall. All right. So this is going to be your, your last one, Nathan. Yeah. All right. Vegas opened the spread as a pickup originally, but once the line was open, it quickly moved to two points in Old Dominion's favor. Right. And the total was set at 68 and a half. Wow. It's now moved down to 66. Yeah. Either way, they're expecting a big scoring game. What is your take on how this goes down? Wow. Well, after what Old Dominion did to Coastal Carolina, Who's basically was Teflon for Georgia Southern. They could they could not figure out how to be Coastal Carolina. So whatever you guys did against Coastal Carolina, you need to share that. I guess it's on film now. So we'll we'll not, share it after this game. <laughs> I, I wouldn't underestimate anybody that, and that's that goes back to a recurring theme. All the teams have. I just heard James Madison's head coach talk about one week at a time and going one and zero. This this division, World Dominion was predicted to to finish last, and Georgia Southern fifth, and James Madison sixth. And that all made sense on paper, if you look at it. And, and of course, Old Dominion had that great run last season and went one and six to six and six. That's great. And then playing the bowl game in Myrtle Beach, that's that's ironic. But anyway, or coincidental, I see, I, I saw when I looked at it, it was 2.5 favor for Old Dominion. You figure home is worth three, just on, on betters philosophy. So it's basically a pick em game with home field being the difference because you figure the home team is going to play that much better. Or maybe the ball bounced that way, or you want to say officiating? I don't know, but I figure, <laughs> I figure the it's every the teams are going to score in the 30s. The, this George Southern defense has improved enough that they could stop anybody other than Morgan State, which was really scuffling at the time as a season opening game. They didn't really find themselves yet, so everybody else has scored 30 plus points pretty much on them. So I would say that the over and under, you might want to go with the over. And then I'm not, yeah, I'm not, this is not a betting show, but I don't think it is. Is Brett Musburger here? <laughs> but, but anyway, I don't, I don't, I, I see it's a pick em game. Whoever, stay away from turnovers. And, you know, Georgia Southern gave up a late score against Coastal Carolina in the last minute to lose. They scored a touchdown in the last minute to beat Nebraska. They tried to score in the last minute and a half to, to tie Georgia State. Didn't work out. Against Ball State, they had a big drive. I'm not sure if it was five minutes or three minutes or two minutes left. So each game, no matter what I say on, on Tuesday of game week, each game has actually come down to the second or the final drive, depending on who has the ball. That's how close it's been, other than the opening game. And I think Old Dominion can speak to that with all the close games they've had, that 
you can say, well, this team was supposed to win or this team should have played better or this team outplayed the other team like Old Dominion against Buffalo. But that that Georgia Sun's going to have to stay away from turnovers and they're going to have to not get gashed by running plays. And if Blake Watson, right, if he goes for 200-some yards, that's trouble. So I think the, the big thing is they haven't won a road game other than Nebraska. They haven't won a conference road game. They've only played two. And they just did not play their best in those two games. So I would say they've got to be worried about coming out flat. That was a problem last year. Different, a lot of the same players, different coach, different staff, but a lot of the same players. So that's what I would say is an issue. So I'm going to say whoever has the ball last wins. Well, this game certainly has the potential for fireworks. While we're waiting for people to get their popcorn, where can our listeners find your content? Okay. Oh, good. Nice. Thanks for asking. So savannahnow.com is our website. You savannahnow.com slash sports. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm the only Nathan Dominance on Twitter, I believe. It's just at Nathan Dominance, N-A-T-H-A-N-D-O-M-I-N-I-T-Z. And then we have a podcast, which you guys are going to be on my guest on any minute now, that, that is on, if you look for it at all platforms where, where Georgia Southern Extra podcast is available. And if you want to get the print subscription, Savannah Morning News still comes out in print six days a week. All right, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you and the Southern fans make the trip up here, have a safe trip and a great time in Norfolk. But go Monarchs. <laughs> okay, so you are monarchists and anarchists. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> go Monarchs. Okay, well, I am i don't root, you know, no rooting in the press box. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Welcome.